1: Welcome to the Disciples of Liberty show. I'm Brian Hyde sitting in for Tim Alders today on the America Out Loud Network. You know, there are some days I feel like there should, there should be a, a, a warning. And so I guess I'm just going to have to give that warning. Um, I'm going to vent and maybe maybe this is something that uh, will be useful. I, I, this is not just going to be, I'm going to complain for the duration of the show, but I got to vent at least a little bit about what I see happening in Australia and New Zealand. And and there's, there's something so Orwellian taking place that I'm, I'm just not sure how you even approach this. Now, you know, some people would say, well, what's the big deal? You don't live there. How is this your problem? The reason it's a problem is because these are not some, you know, backwater banana republic kind of countries. This, this is first world living. And you have people locked down with the military deployed to enforce that lockdown. Mothers being fined $1,000 simply for talking outdoors. What, you're outside of your home? You're not allowed out between these hours. I think it's from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Apparently the virus is out at that time. $1,000 fines, $1,600 fines, police patrolling kids' playgrounds. They're literally building a quarantine camp. And I believe it's called uh, Camp Camp Well Camp Well something Well. Anyway, it's it's extremely Orwellian. I, I just have to wonder. Oh, and this was this was something else that I saw. And again, I'm just looking at this, going, "What have we come to?" This is breaking news from one of the news channels from September 13th. NSW is at New South Wales. I I, I don't know the the states of Australia, but NSW residents that are fully vaccinated against COVID-19 will be given new freedoms. Meaning residents of hotspots can leave home for an hour of recreation on top of their exercise hour. While people in other areas can meet five others outdoors. And there's a nice graphic of a couple of women on bicycles wearing masks, of course. And it says, NSW fully vaccinated, freedom revealed. And I assume what is the uh, prime minister of the country speaking up. And it seems so Orwellian. The first thing I thought when I saw this was, okay, this is a legit news report. This is not satire. And I thought, holy cow, is the chocolate ration going to be increased as well? It has such a 1984 vibe. New freedoms based upon your compliance oh and by the way citizens are banned from leaving the country they're locked down and i mean really locked down um again i'm sorry if it just seems like i'm venting or listing a bunch of complaints here these are things i've just become aware of like in the last 24 hours that are taking place in, in australia and new zealand police checking people's fitbits and apple watches why because there's an electronic record. If you've been out walking with your Fitbit, it will tell whether you strayed from that five kilometer, you know, radius that's imposed upon you. There was actually a story of a guy, and this was what was interesting. This is what really got me going was a police chief talking about how officers were sent to a home to check and make sure that the person who lived at that home was actually at home. I mean, this is like following up on house arrest. But when they got to the home, the individual they were looking for was not there. So they waited around, and sure enough, the guy pulled up alone in his car and was questioned. Where were you? Where did you go? Why were you out? Now his answer was, look, I just went for a short drive to get some fresh air. That's a $1,000 fine. And the police chief was like, you know, don't think that we won't fine you. Don't think that we won't tighten this down. The amount goes up. Every time people violate, we raise the amount of these fines. I mean, to to the point that I assume that people are feeling some pretty serious pain. I mean, they treat this guy like he robbed a bank. But just let's rewind for a second and ask, what exactly did he do? What was it that justified this police, first of all, interest in him, much less, yeah, we're going to have to issue a fine and, you know, punish him because he went out for fresh air. Now, again, I'm going to ask, why should that concern me, right? (laughs) I'm safe in America, man. You know, this is is the land of the free. But we are headed the same direction. And when Australian authorities can build a quarantine camp, they're, they're talking about internment camps, which presumably will be for what the infected, the unvaccinated. That's probably the the more likely scenario. I don't know how to put it other than we're to the point where there are people building camps, moving ahead. They did not tell people in the locale where the camp was going in. That's what it was going to be. They found that out after the fact. But it's expected to be operational by the end of this year. Well, then, you know, somebody's going to have to fill it. Okay, so I hope this isn't making you paranoid. I hope this isn't making you angry. But at the very least, shouldn't your antenna be twitching? Shouldn't you be at least going, Ooh, that's, that's not something that squares with what government ought to do. It brings me to an article I found from James Bovard, writing for the American Institute for Economic Research. And it, this could not be a more timely message. Absolute power is no COVID safety net. And what it appears that uh, in in New Zealand and in Australia, police at this point have absolute power. They do not need a warrant to go in and search your home. The the military is patrolling the streets, stopping people who are out and about. They want to know, why are you out? Do you have a good reason? Here's a fine. Now, of course... Political leaders and authorities are selling this on the the idea that this is what's keeping us safe. I want you to hear what uh, James Bovard has to say. I think he has a very solid take on this. He says, since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, lockdown champions have perennially, perennially invoked science and data to sanctify any mandate politicians impose. Hard facts have recently shown that neither vaccines nor face masks provide surefire protection against the virus but no amount of evidence has yet shaken faith in the magic of absolute power. He says COVID policies are increasingly degenerating to the equivalent of sacrificing virgins to appease angry viral gods. And he gives the example. New Zealand on Tuesday imposed a nationwide lockdown in response to a single COVID case, not even a death, just a case in the capital city. Prime Minister, and I hope I'm saying her name right, Jacinda Ardern, ordered her captive citizenry, do not congregate, don't talk to your neighbors, please keep to your bubble. Arden asserted that complying with these rules, making sure we do all we can to stamp it out, remains the best strategy in the world right now. Of course, Arden did not deign to explain why almost no place else on Earth, including places with vastly more COVID cases, sought to outlaw everyday conversations. In Australia, the military is patrolling city streets to enforce the latest lockdown. Daniel Andrews, the premier of the state of Victoria, recently decreed there will be no removal of masks to consume alcohol outdoors. One Aussie lamented, my business has been forcibly closed. Everyone has been sent home without pay. We're banned from leaving our homes except for the five reasons given by the government. Now, Jim Bovard says, look, there is, there is no science to justify prohibiting Australians from going more than two miles from their home. But New Zealand and Australia presume that no one will be safe unless government officials have jurisdiction over every breath that citizens take. And here's what's really weird. In the United States, many of the same pundits and activists who howled about the evils of microaggressions are now cheering for the government to forcibly inject everyone with a COVID vaccine. Biden publicly declared that he's checking to see if he has the power to force everyone to get injected. Now, Biden endorsed the, the vaccination passports that some cities have already imposed. Radio host Grant Stinchfield commented in Los Angeles, you can defecate on the street, shoot drugs in a crack tent on the sidewalk and even steal anything less than 900 bucks. But now you have to show papers to get in a restaurant or gym. New York City's passport regime effectively bans the majority of blacks from many activities of daily life since they have a much lower vaccination rate than other groups. And the concern here is that far greater restrictions may be on the horizon. For instance, the Associated Press reported the Biden administration is considering mandating vaccines for interstate travel but is delaying any such decree until Americans were ready for the strong arming from the federal government. Okay, let's pump the brakes here for just a second. What does that mean? Mandating vaccines for interstate travel? I can only suppose that's going to mean that we will see checkpoints on the the places where state borders meet. You want to cross over into this state? Got to see your vaccine passport. Or in the more common vernacular, papers, please. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is insanity. And especially the part about Americans being ready for the strong arming from the federal government. A former top Homeland Security official has actually called for placing anyone who isn't fully vaccinated on the no-fly list, thereby expanding the list to scores of millions of people and creating new havoc for air travel. Biden administration officials have offered no evidence that such restrictions would end the pandemic, but it would permit the president to demonstrate the same machismo that President Nixon showed with his illegal invasion of Cambodia back in 1970. Politicians' anti-COVID recommendations increasingly resemble frightened soldiers shooting at any noise they hear in the dark. National Institutes of Health director Francis Collins recently condemned the epidemic of misinformation, disinformation, distrust that is tearing us apart. But as Jim Bovard points out, much of the misinformation has stemmed directly from the Biden administration's flip-flops and fear-mongering. On August 3rd, Collins announced during a CNN interview that parents of unvaccinated children should wear masks in their own home. And he conceded, I know that's uncomfortable. I know it seems weird, but it is the best way to protect your kids. Now, a few hours later, Collins recanted on Twitter, perhaps after other political appointees persuaded him to stop sounding like a blithering idiot. But the point is COVID misinformation started. At the top. In a CNN town hall last month, Biden declared, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. I'd say that's probably not the case today. Biden administration officials kept repeating the pandemic of the unvaccinated refrain long after it became clear that vaccines were rapidly failing to prevent the spread of COVID. On August 8th, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky finally admitted what COVID vaccines can't do anymore is prevent transmission. To which Jim Bovard says, that's a hell of an asterisk. Prior to that, the Biden administration even refused to disclose the number of breakthrough infections that had occurred among White House staff. Professor Eric rather, complained that the CDC's false statements on COVID risks was a blatant failure putting millions of vaccinated Americans at unnecessary risk for breakthrough infections. And on Thursday, a front page Washington Post article castigated the CDC for withholding COVID information from the public, noting that its overly rosy assessments of the vaccine's effectiveness against Delta may have lulled Americans into a false sense of security. Tom Frieden, former CDC director under Obama, suggests that the long delays in disclosure led some people to wonder if the CDC is hiding results. CDC director Walensky responded to the debacle by promising to develop a new forecasting and outbreaks analytics center to analyze data in real time. That's according to The Washington Post. The CDC apparently did not consider it previously worthwhile to spend any of its $8 billion annual budget on such a project. Now, Jim Bovard says the Biden administration has sought to has sought to blame the resurgence of covid on scoff laws who do not submit to every revised command. The official enemies list has expanded from those not wearing the mask to those resisting getting vaccinated. And it will soon include those who balk at getting a third and fourth and fifth injection. If I could just offer this as a thought about uh, any lists that may be compiled, who are the problem, children? I'm going to be very disappointed if I'm not on that list, because it will mean that I have, haven't been trying hard enough. <laughs> the biggest expansions of the enemy list occurred on August 13th. You probably remember this when the Department of Homeland Security issued a terrorist alert warning law enforcement agencies that anti-government slash anti-authority violent extremists could exploit Potential reestablishment of public health restrictions across the United States. See how mild they make that sound? As rationale to conduct attacks. So anyone who loudly objects to being locked back under house arrest will be the moral equivalent of the Taliban or maybe Hezbollah. Previous federal drift nets for potential troublemakers expanded far beyond individuals who threatened violence. The feds may actually be compiling vast lists of COVID critics that could come in handy at some future point. But at least government officials now recognize the real enemy. COVID Tsar Tony Fauci recently declared, I know people must like to have their individual freedom. But I think that we're in such a serious situation now that mandates should be done. Fauci predicts that once the FDA rushes its formal approval of COVID vaccines, there will be far more mandates imposed on Americans. And the fact that the efficacy of the Pfizer vaccine has fallen to 42% is irrelevant. A vaccine isn't a failure as long as the government can force everyone to get additional injections. Someone pointed this out on Twitter last night. I'm just going to pass it along for something you may want to file away. But the idea that, okay, so you got the vaccine. In good faith, right? Both doses, you should be fully vaccinated. No, no, no. It looks like actually you're going to need a booster because within a few months, that uh, vaccine is likely to lose a great deal of its effectiveness. So the question now remains, how many boosters are you going to need? How often is this going to be a requirement? And the point that someone made was, look, they liken those booster shots to effectively turning your immune system into a subscription service which you have to pay in order to keep current. Now, maybe that's just a really good case of, hey, what's the worst possible way to frame this? But you'd have to admit, if, if any of that rings true, that's a pretty chilling realization. Are you bound? Are you hooked to take these boosters for as long as, as you live? Because if that's the case, I don't know, that's a pretty powerful disincentive to get the vaccine. The primary evidence, James Bovard says, for most COVID policies is the job title of the government official who issues the decree. As University of California San Francisco professor of medicine Vinay Prasad wrote last month, when it comes to non-pharmacologic interventions such as mandatory business closures, mask mandates, and countless other interventions. The shocking conclusion of the last 18 months is this. We have learned next to nothing. Prasad slammed his colleagues for failing to do reliable research on key issues of the pandemic. Anyone who considers themselves a scientist should be embarrassed by our collective failure to generate knowledge, and this failure is once again looming large. He says for bureaucrats and politicians, gaining power and compelling submission are victory enough even when their policies fail to vanquish a virus. That cuts right to the chase, doesn't it? Citizens are obliged to assume the government knows best even when it knows, knows little or nothing. People won't get, as fe- won't get infected rather, as long as they are groveling to federal commands, right? But Bovard says unfortunately the government has no liability for the injections it approves or the freedoms it destroys. Faith in absolute power is not science, says James Bovard, regardless of how many scientists pledge allegiance to Washington in return for federal funding. As historian John M. Berry, author of The Great Influenza, observed, when you mix politics and science, you get politics. And James Bovard backs that up by noting there is no safety in submission to damn fools, regardless of their pompous titles. Now, it's okay if you disagree with that. But there's a lot of truth, or at least there appears to be a lot of truth to what he is saying here. And, and I think one of the things that, that bears a little closer examination is the idea that all of those outward things, get the shot, wear the mask, submit, submit, they're badges of compliance. I may be wrong. But it's my opinion that this push to make sure that the kids are wearing masks, for crying out loud, the ACLU, which, you know, I mean, they were defending guys like Larry Flint, you know, for, to, to publish his smut. That's fine. They were standing up for freedom, right, in some sense. But no more. They don't really care about it. No, we're suing to make sure that masks are imposed on children. Why Why are you doing that, ACLU? Well, it's for the sake of the disabled children. Huh? seems like there's a, there's a tyranny preference on their part. And for whatever reason, they have thrown in with the powers that be. We need the courts to force everybody to put those masks on the kids. I'm pretty much convinced it has little to do with, uh, with actually making the kids safer. In fact, I'll share with you some thoughts here from uh, John Miltimore from the Foundation for Economic Education. He says the CDC itself admits when it did a study of schools with mask mandates versus those that didn't have mask mandates in other words they had optional policies they learned that there was no statistically significant different rate of covid transmission in other words the cdc did not include its finding that it required mask use among students wasn't significantly wasn't statistically significant compared with schools where mask use was optional isn't that crazy? With fall approaching, many Americans are wondering, are they going to send their kids off to school with a mask? Or if they'll even have a choice. There's a new, there's a recent uh, New York magazine article stating that the science on masks remains uncertain. That's very generous, but they noted the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention back in May published a large scale study of COVID transmission in U.S. in U.S. schools. Now, this study analyzed some 90,000 elementary students in 169 Georgia schools between November 16th and December 11th last year. And it found that there was no statistically significant difference between the schools that made their students wear masks and those that said it was optional. The CD said the 21% lower incidence in schools that required mask use among students was not statistically significant compared with schools where the mask use was optional. Now, they said this finding might be attributed to higher effectiveness of masks among adults who are at higher risk for SARS-CoV-2 infection, but it might also result from differences in mask wearing behavior among students in schools with optional requirements. As New York Magazine's David Zwig noted, these findings, as well as other statistically insignificant preventative measures, cast doubt on the impact of many of the most common mitigation measures in American schools. Now I'm not trying to dash all of your faith in what the CDC has been saying or what the federal government is saying, but I repeat myself. <laughs> but it's 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 curious. For a while it was oh masks yes definitely they they are what uh, prevents the spread of this. Then it was uh, keep them six feet apart, and it was you remember we have to disinfect the rooms because the virus could live on surfaces. How many of those things have been walked back? in light of further understanding. Now that we've had some time to see how the virus behaves and how people tend to become infected. Also in the next segment, I'm going to share with you some very useful information because standing up for your rights is not an easy thing to do. And if you haven't noticed, it's not getting any easier by the day. I have a column from Alan Stevo, which contains some truly useful recommendations of what to do before you back down to a police officer, in other words, you know, say you are at a, uh, I don't know, a school board meeting. You're there to say, I don't want my kid wearing a mask. And you have a police officer come up and say, take down that sign. He has some questions you should be willing to ask before you back down. Stick around. We'll have that coming up in the next segment. I'm Brian Hyde, sitting in for Tim Alders on the Disciples of Liberty show here on the America Out Loud Network
0: my fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, You were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits are supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list and they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit ShopToTheRight.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit ShopToTheRight.com and let's all make a difference.
2: Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep, with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support, delivered in a patent pending, pill free, ultra absorption microgel formula that tastes great fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off.
0: It was a vision that gave birth to a unique multimedia platform that would combine classic talk radio, great writers, and memorable podcasts and videos. AmericaOutloud.com is a conservative leader in a field that is predominantly run by far-left progressive globalists. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio.
1: Once again, we welcome you back to the Disciples of Liberty Show. I'm Brian Hyde, sitting in for my friend Tim Alders here on the America Out Loud Network. So is it possible that we have just a little too much trust in science, maybe even something that could be called overconfidence? I mean, that sounds like ingratitude, right? How many, how many things in our lives has science improved? I would venture quite a bit. But at the same time, Going back to that quote that was in the article from, uh, uh, I believe it was from James Bovard, when you mix science with politics, you get politics. I guess that's that's the power of politics. It just kind of corrupts whatever it touches. And when you move it t- together with science, yeah, you get some interesting authority figures, you get some control, uh, at least some, some dynamics of control, just because people are inclined to believe, well, if a guy in a lab coat said it, then it's probably the right thing. Now, these are probably people who have never heard of things like the Stanford prison experience or experiment, rather, or the Milgram experiment. That Milgram experiment is the one that really is fascinating. The the Stanford prison experience was uh, simply determining how people who are given a little bit of authority have a tendency to take it and run with it and use it in an abusive fashion. And it was purely an experiment, but they had to stop the experiment because they, they gave they put people into a situation where some people were considered inmates and some people were considered guards. And lo and behold, it was human nature. When you gave people authority, especially if they had the authority to act with impunity, it didn't take very long for them to start abusing the people who were under them. I'm sure military members would have a, a, a more succinct way to say something about crap rolls downhill, but you get the point. The Milgram experiment, on the other hand, was an excellent example of how people will be willing to do things that individually they would never dream of doing. But as long as there is someone who is acting as an authority figure assuring them, no, it's okay, go ahead, they would do it. I suspect this is is probably what was going through a lot of people's heads at Nuremberg as they were saying, I was just doing my job. And the verdict would come back guilty. Take him to the gallows. If you remember the Milgram experiment, this was where volunteers were brought in and were told that they were going to be participating in an experiment where they would be questioning an individual who was out of sight to them, but they were told was connected to electrical wires on the other side of this barrier. And every time they would ask a question, if the person gave a correct answer, they would move on to the next question. If they gave an incorrect answer or gave no answer at all, that was also considered incorrect, they were to press a button which would deliver an electrical shock to the person supposedly wired up to those wires. Now, there was a person in a lab coat standing there, kind of a facilitator for the experiment. And as they went along, those shocks would get progressively stronger and stronger. Now, you have to know this. The person who was on the other side of the barrier, the one allegedly being shocked, was in fact not hooked up to wires but they were told to pretend that they were being shocked and so they might have you know a startled exclamation the first time the person pushed the button but pretty soon they would be pushing that button and the person who on the who was on the other side of the barrier would be screaming in agony stop stop don't do it don't do it you know if they if they gave a wrong answer and in fact even when the person pushing the button was led to believe that they were administering a lethal jolt of electricity They would go on with the experiment, always looking to the figure in the lab coat who would simply say to them, the experiment must continue. And just like that, they would switch off their conscience and proceed forward. Fascinating study. Okay, let's bring it full circle now. How can humanity's unbound confidence in science undermine reason and lead to collectivism? It's not like we weren't warned. The great economist F.A. Hayek uh, would would likely have have given us some great warnings for those who were paying attention. This is an article from Kai Weiss from the Foundation for Economic Education, fee.org. His essay begins with, The Science Says... Now, that phrase has become one of the most popular mottos in the popular discourse of our day. Science, with hard facts and without fallacies or errors, has become a knockout argument for any policy discussion. When science says something, we should immediately end our debate. Regardless of whether the point of discussion is the coronavirus, climate change, or some other economic policy, the science has spoken. Now, how far this sentiment extends in our modern societies is apparent if we take the example of President Joe Biden, who, as Fees, John Miltimore noted a few months ago, campaigned in 2020 on phrases like, listen to the science, and I believe in science. But as Nobel Prize-winning economist F.A. Hayek made clear, this supremacy of scientific inquiry is not only misguided, but is in fact also a perversion of what science's actual purpose is. It's science gone off the rails. Now, undoubtedly, the scientific revolution has brought us many great advances. It's been a key driver in the material, technological, and medicinal progress that we've seen not just in the past few decades and centuries, but even millennia. We've seen this play out more in the last year as scientists have independently developed multiple effective vaccines in an incredibly short amount of time. And it's been a key driver, too, for accumulating ever more knowledge about the world and the universe we live in. Kai Weiss says it would be be preposterous to deny this. And it would be equally preposterous if we were to dismiss the work scientists are doing. Scientists are, of course, not infallible. No human is. But science has rightfully played a significant role in our world. More so, Hayek called the marvelous growth of science... Perhaps the greatest result of this unchaining of individual energies, which we have witnessed since the industrialization. And yet science can never say what could be politically desirable. It can show what is and what would happen under different circumstances, but it can never tell us what we ought to do, what goals we may have in mind, or how we should weigh different trade-offs. For instance, science may tell us that we will be faced with future challenges due to global warming, and yet that is no argument for green new deals. Science may tell us that the coronavirus is a pandemic we should take seriously for our own health's sake. And yet this is no argument for locking down all of public life. And finally, one might add, economic science may tell us that minimum wages lead to unemployment or rent control leads to housing shortages, And yet this and in and of itself is no argument against minimum wages and rent control. Even though there are many good reasons such measures should be opposed. As Hayek saw with dismay, a certain scientific hubris has come into being over the last centuries. Science we think today can tell us everything in the world and we should always rationally follow the lessons we receive from experts. Science has become an all-encompassing principle one whose role is practically limitless and all-powerful. Indeed, science almost becomes a sort of demigod. See President Biden's call to believe in science as though it were a matter of faith. And since science is always conducted by man, man or at least some men, becomes all-powerful and limitless too. Now putting these all-knowing men in charge of society would be the logical consequence. A government assembled by experts, those who already know everything, and if they don't, they could simply conduct new research on the basis of reason, would be able to guide our society and economy to perfection. As Hayek warns in Law, Legislation, and Liberty, it's precisely this overconfidence which has encouraged arguments for technocratic governance, for the chief reason why modern man has become so unwilling to admit that the constitutional limitations on his knowledge form a permanent barrier to the possibility of a rational construction of the whole of society is his unbounded confidence in the powers of science. Out of, such, out of the great success of the scientists, sciences rather has, rid, has not only risen pride without limits, but even an abuse and decline of reason itself. One of the main reasons for this assumption is that simply because the scientific method has been a success in the natural sciences, we could use the same methods in the social world. If we were able to conduct experiments and plan our scientific research to its minutest details, well, then it would be easy to guide society, the economy, and all its individuals as well. But this scientism, this ideological and religious deference to science, ignores one crucial point, though. Contrary to the natural scientists' science, sciences, rather, society is made up of actual, self-determined human beings whose behavior can't be predicted or planned like atoms, molecules, or amoebas. It indeed ignores the fact that humans have a free will which the natural world doesn't have. The social sciences are, as Hayek writes in his most notable critique of scientism in The Counter-Revolution of Science, concerned with man's conscious or reflected action, actions where a person can be said to choose between various courses open to him. Here, the situation is essentially different to the natural world. If we tried to explain it through the latter methods, we would confine ourselves to less than we know about the situation. Ironically, despite ever-increasing available scientific data and information, we may may know even less about the human person and behavior. Kai says this false theory of science and rationality in which reason is abused should not be underestimated, for it could and has led to outright error and, indeed, collectivism. If politicians, with the help of the experts who are engaged in the science, think they always have a ready-made technique at hand, as if one only needed to follow some cooking recipes to solve all social problems, well, the opportunities for government action and interventions would be practically limitless. Now, that has to ring true, particularly at a time when health experts have been enabled to build a hopefully just temporary COVID authoritarian regime. Kai Weiss says, indeed, all of our policy has been built in the last year on the voice of science, on the insights made by epidemiologists, who often, as they themselves would probably admit, particularly when it comes to the early stages of the pandemic, were clueless about what was happening when decisions were to be made on new restrictions or mandates or whether we could reclaim our ultimately constitutionally guaranteed rights, it was for the experts to make that decision. And the result has been more than a year of restrictions that none of us could ever have imagined. He says, we obviously don't know what Hayek would have said if he had lived through the COVID pandemic, but the crisis is a prime example of the warnings he already made several decades ago when he warned of elevating science beyond its purpose. Now, one might say in the end that Hayek would probably have taken great value in the findings of Dr. Anthony Fauci and his colleagues around the world, but the decision on what government does or does not should have, should have never been in the hands of these specialized experts. And so Kai Weiss says, perhaps then, by not indulging in the pretense of scientific knowledge, we would put the individual and his or her freedoms and dignity at the center again. And that's really what it comes down to. You know, stripped of all the, the fancy dressing and stripped of all the uh, drama that comes along with conflicts over, you know, who's, who gets to say, you wear the mask or you make sure that you get the vaccine. That's an individual choice. It has to be an individual choice. In fact, I wanted to share with you, this is just a brief uh, article from Zero Hedge. Tyler Durden says even mainstream media is now asking big questions about the COVID vaccines. And you can thank former Congressman Ron Paul for uh, helping to get that uh, dialogue going. He highlighted this week a handful of mainstream media articles that have begun to break ranks in terms of questioning key aspects of vaccine effectiveness and mandates, particularly when it comes to the controversial boosters now being widely proposed. Even mainstream media is asking big questions about the vaccines. That was from yesterday's Liberty Report. A couple of recent headlines in Bloomberg and the BBC were unexpected in terms of the criticism reflected and somewhat skeptical pushback against the consensus narrative. The first news article that Congressman Paul and his co-host Daniel McAdams used is from Bloomberg. Listen to these first couple of lines from the Bloomberg article published over the weekend. Anecdotes tell us what the data can't. Vaccinated people appear to be getting the coronavirus at a surprisingly high rate. But exactly how isn't clear, nor is it certain how likely they are to spread the virus to others. Though it's evident vaccination still provides powerful protection against the virus, there's growing concern that vaccinated people may be more vulnerable to serious illness than previously thought. And that same day as the Bloomington headline, there was this from the U.K.-funded BBC. Is catching COVID now better than more vaccine? The story began, it is now a serious question that has implications for whether children should ever be vaccinated. And whether we use the virus or booster shots to top up immunity in adults, both have become contentious issues. We could be digging ourselves into a hole for a very long time where we think we can only keep COVID away by boosting every year. That's Professor Eleanor Riley, an immunologist from the University of Edinburgh. Now, just a month ago, these kind of statements found in a couple of mainstream media articles would have been enough to get a person possibly suspended from Facebook or from Twitter. The very least, the fact checkers would have been jumping like fleas. Now they just underscore how experimental the whole scenario is, despite governments in a number of places now mandating COVID-19 vaccines, with boosters just around the corner and already being implemented in some places, Israel previously being the first on a mass scale. So we could see health officials pushing a second booster, a third, and on and on it will go. Even the Daily Beast, which has spent much of the pandemic shaming the vaccine-hesitant, is now admitting. ultra vaxed Israel is now seeing numbers of infections skyrocket. I don't want to frighten you, COVID-19 SAR Dr. Salman Zarka, told the Israeli parliament, but this is the data. Unfortunately, the numbers don't lie. A massive surge of infections in ultra vaxed Israel is pointing to a complicated path ahead. So the bottom line here is that it appears that some in the media are actually beginning to acknowledge the rush for boosters is far too premature and too little is yet known. And yet you have companies like Delta Airlines turning up the heat on its employees. You need to get the vaccine. Well, what if I don't want to? Well, then we will fine you, dear employee, $200 a month until you do. How did they justify it? Well, if you do get uh, COVID, it's going to cost about $50,000 in hospitalization fees. That's engaging in preventative policy, or pre- I'm sorry, preventive policy. I just tried to make up a word that doesn't actually exist. Preventive policy, which, like preventive law, can only come by taking a person's agency or taking a measure of a person's freedom away. Well, they still have a choice, Brian. They still could choose not to get the vaccine and just, you know, pay the money or lose their jobs, as is the case with so many. And I have to wonder to myself, what is it that gets into a person's head? That first of all, they would support this kind of a thing where, you know, persuasion obviously isn't working. And yet, I I don't feel like anybody who is hesitant to get the vaccine has any reason to apologize. There are serious questions that keep coming up. The longer we wait, the more of these questions come up. I suspect most of the people who haven't gotten the vaccine, it's not because they're stupid or selfish or because some conspiracy theory has addled their thinking. It's because they're seeing that narrative fail to hold together. This is not safe. This is not effective. Or at least it's not as safe and effective as we were told. What else are we going to find out? And of course, it all comes back to whose choice is it? Someone posed the question on Twitter yesterday. What will you do if they mandate vaccines? Meaning if there's a federal mandate. I like how Kent McManigal said, I will continue to live as an outlaw. We need the right kind of outlaws. We really do. The principled ones who basically uh, make bad laws unenforceable by simply ignoring them. That doesn't mean, by the way, that they're terrible people who go around robbing stagecoaches and otherwise inflicting themselves on others. The kind of outlaw I'm talking about is the person who simply understands what their rights are and is willing to stand up and assert those rights, even if it's hard, even if it means you find yourself standing on the fringes of society. The good news is it doesn't take a majority of people to make a difference and move that needle in the right direction. The bad news is it was already pretty tough to do. You risked being attacked. You risked being shamed, canceled if people could get to you. But now the stakes are going even higher. I'm not sure I want to see where this leads. But I'm also extremely clear, at least speaking for myself, If I choose to get a vaccine, it will be my decision. Not the product of someone twisting my arm at just the right angle to get me to say, uncle, I'll do it. Not everybody has that luxury, though. People who are trying to choose between, well, how do I keep a roof over my head? How do I keep my kids fed? If I lose my job, I'm losing something very important. It's pretty tough to tell them, well, just suck it up, man. And yet at the same time, I think there is wisdom in recognizing you can always find another job. Even if it's not ideal, you can always find something to do. There's still a lot of places hiring. But once you have taken that vaccine into your body, I don't know how you get rid of those spike proteins. I don't know how that works. I don't think that's something that's necessarily reversible. It's the kind of thing, though, that a person shouldn't enter into lightly. I talked with my daughter who went to get her vaccine yesterday. She has fought this long and hard. She has really tried, but she's studying to be an RN. This is required for her to continue with her schooling. She finally felt that she was backed into a corner to where she really had no choice but to go along with it in order to continue her schooling and it made me feel just a little bit better to hear i mean she was saying you know she was trying to control her emotions as she went to to get to the the shot at a vaccine clinic and she said you know it made me feel a little bit better when i realized the guy who was next in line behind me was an emt and he was righteously ticked off he was angry that he was even there in the first place being forced to take that shot probably facing a very similar you know demand either do this or you're no longer working in your job. But the thing that really struck me was she talked about how the nurses were, were giving this, uh, this hype, this, well, this is, you're so brave. You're such a, actually, I don't think they told him they were brave. They just said, you're a hero. You're doing the right thing. Here's your piece of candy, which uh, to my ears sounds like, good boy, good girl. Sit, sit, stay. That's what it sounds like. Or it sounds like some variation of, you know, a multi-level marketing scheme. I don't know. It's offensive to me, though. (laughs) That's the the approach that has to be taken. we got to hype people up. we got to make them, you know, feel like they're doing something truly heroic by submitting. I want to share with you an article here from Alan Stevo, who I think is one of the great people when it comes to uh, dealing with these kinds of policies. And he heard from a, a reader who said, look, I was in attendance at a school board meeting uh, talking about letting, you know, or making kids be masked in school. And a reader who was in attendance at this particular school board meeting says, Alan, I apologize for jumping off topic, but I have a concern about last evening's rally. The organizers of the rally were asked to take down their sign. And there were, I don't know what the sign said. I assume it wasn't something, you know, offensive, right? But apparently, we, those concerned community members, staff, and students that are asked to stand up against and educate others and about the issues that concern us, witnessed compliance instead of standing up. In fact, as soon as the police officer said, you've got to take down your sign, they took it down. And, and the person's objection here is that we can't do both. We cannot comply and stand up at the same time. Either we stand up to all the indoctrination, or we back down and cease to be heard. Now this individual says, "I'm actually disappointed in myself for not speaking up at the time. I surely don't know all of the ins and outs of purposeful protest, but I want to do more and I want to be more effective." So they're asking Alan Stevo, "What what is your take on this?" I want to be all in, but I don't think I can do it by simply backing down as soon as someone in authority says, hmm, "Get in your kennel," or so to speak. Alan Stevo says, "Look." I agree with you. I don't like it either. He says, my understanding is the organizers fought off that request as long as they knew how to, but then the police got involved and the sign had to come down. Now, there were probably some honest and direct questions that the organizers didn't say. This is the part that you should be taking note of. Because every time a police officer or any other person tells you to stop exercising your freedoms, Alan Stevo says, I find it helpful to do a full cost-benefit analysis it helps you to more clearly see all of your options before you make a decision. So he says, "I would recommend the following tools that uh, for which uh, for that which based on the outcome he says, I don't think were put to use at this school board meeting." So these are questions for anyone trying to give you an ultimatum. And he says, "Organizers probably did not say the words to the police, what will happen if I don't take it down? Don't take the sign down." Organizers probably did not say to the police, Will you issue me a citation or will you arrest me? Now, he says it's better to say the former to prevent unnecessary escalation. Save the latter for deeper into the conversation. He says organizers probably did not ask, how much will the ticket be for? Organizers probably did not say, which law passed by the state legislature or city ordinance will you use to find me? And then after having that law cited to them, organizers probably did not say to the police officers, Would you give me a moment to look that law up and familiarize myself with it? If threatened with arrest, organizers probably did not say to the police, what will you arrest me for? Knowing the way the local DA views cases like these, he says, probably organizers failed to ask, do you think the DA will prosecute me for that? They probably also didn't say, when was the last time a judge in this county convicted someone for that? And his point is if you can stay calm and friendly, if you can get, you can get a lot of information from a police officer after they say the words to the effect of stop doing that or else. And if you stay calm, you can get a lot of information that will help you make a decision. And you can probably imagine how the same concept could be used in other situations not involving law enforcement. It basically is seeking to fully understand all available options open to you. When face mask wearing is ordered of you, he says, I recommend getting a hold of the policies and invoking an exemption. This is one path to an open and honest conversation using the contrived pathways you might need to use to communicate with the corporate Borg. And he says, I recommend this approach above with law enforcement because he says, I know it works. And it works even better if you have a person or two or three next to you watching this calm exchange take place. He says, I know it works because this is how I talk to anyone who tries to tell me what to do, including police, the highway patrol, and sheriff's deputies. I want to know what the unspoken or else is. But because so few people ever have this conversation with officers, they sometimes push those or else commands quickly. So it's important for anyone who seeks to live free to be comfortable asking such questions to define the or else statement rather than simply complying and walking away to complain about it for the next five years to anyone who will listen. Some people do that, but he says, don't be that person. Every time you walk out of your house, resolve to live a free and admirable existence in the outside world. Now, that's very hard to do if you simply say, yes, master, every time someone makes a request of you. If someone is to live in a community, then communication is at the heart of freedom. The hard-to-speak, direct, honest words can be the most effective methods to ensuring freedom, especially when accompanied by an ability to listen to the response. People who speak about revolution are often too cowardly to speak those words. So to whip up a crowd is one thing and somewhat easy to do, even without possessing any bravery. But to get into an honest conversation with another person, that's another thing entirely. And that may be uh, tougher, but it's also far more protective of freedom. And I like this part. He says, personally, after that conversation with the police officers about taking down the sign, if they said to me, I will issue you a $45 fix-it ticket for political signage on public property. Alan Stevo says, I would happily accept that ticket in exchange for the ability to leave the sign up. Then I would happily fight that matter in court and in the media. But you can't have the opportunity to make those decisions if you don't stand up to authority just a few minutes longer and to kindly ask questions like those to determine what the consequences of your actions are going to be. As uncomfortable as they may be, those few minutes of honest conversation mean so much for freedom. The cop may not even want to write a ticket. Maybe they sympathize with you. But you've got to remember, you don't need to focus on the hyenas. You don't need to focus on the sheep. The Fauci's and Newsom's, they've existed in all eras, and it doesn't matter what the hyenas do. It doesn't matter what the sheep do. They, too, have long existed. What matters is that lions like you stand firm, and then a whole lot of things get better in life very quickly, merely because lions refuse to put up with that Nonsense. That's a nice little uh, kick in the seat of the pants. <laughs> it's it's good advice, too. But the key is to do it lovingly and calmly. I'm Brian Hyde, sitting in for Tim Alders. This is the Disciples of Liberty Show on the America Out Loud Network.